2: Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Ahoy, and welcome to the Love Boat. I'm <laughs> Julie, your cruise director. With me, as always, is Isaac, your bartender. How you doing? I just did the little double the, guns. the double guns. Looking you, good. You're a genius. Thank you for coming up with that. Thank you. You're a genius too, Chuck. Thank you. Do you want to know uh, how we can call each other geniuses without cracking up? (laughs) Well, I'm cracking up on the inside, but sure. Because we have no idea what constitutes a genius, do we? Right. We like to throw the word around, as you were pointing out earlier.
1: Oh, he's a genius. Or he's a socialist, or he's a fascist. He's a genius. You should see the bathroom he designed. He's genius. (laughs) (laughs) You know, come on. Yeah,
0: it definitely is a word that gets slapped around a lot, but... The the way that we use the word genius now, actually, uh, is kind of a throwback to its original meaning. Uh, in the Greco-Roman era, the word genius back when w- everyone was
1: wrestling,
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> okay, like you could be a genius at wrestling. Sure, uh, really, what it what it what it described was somebody's um, natural enthusiasm. Inclination towards certain activities, uh-huh. not just your your abilities, but you know how revved up you were. So so somebody who was pretty good at bathroom design, right, would have been considered a genius at bathroom
1: design. That's like the I mean? word uh, vintage. People always think vintage just means old. Yeah, but I think vintage specifically means like characterized by that person's best work, like a tailor, their best five pairs of pants they made. Really. I think so. I might I be wrong. I just learned that
0: just now. <laughs> I might be wrong. Thanks to you. Are we picking up Jerry's laugh because we're in a uh, two foot by two foot space right now? Yeah. But this room is not
1: genius. No. It stinks of volatile organic compounds. Well, um, we should say they actually moved us for one day into an even smaller office Yeah, like uh, the Seinfeld. Remember when Costanza, they kept moving him around because they didn't like him? Yeah. And he, we're eventually going to end up in a storage closet like he did. Yeah. I think we've arrived there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's lovely. It's just not for podcasting. Okay. Well, I'm a little lightheaded, so if this uh, if
0: this goes oddly, that's why it's the paint sure. and the airplane glue. That's airplane glue is genius. It is. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about genius for some reason, weren't we? Yeah, because this is about genius. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, so I, yeah, I was saying the original idea of genius right. was enthusiasm, throwing yourself into something, sure. what you were into, uh-huh. right? Um. And then, thanks to a guy named Francis Galton,
1: who, he was a
0: pretty smart guy himself, but he had a long history of just kind of missing the big picture with his ideas. He came up with eugenics. Sure. He was the first one to start attributing um, genius to intellect. He kind of narrowed it a little more. And eventually, this led to our idea of genius being quantifiable, e.g., through IQ
1: tests or G, which we'll get to. <laughs> nice, nice
0: <laughs> foreshadowing. That's awful. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't. I'll just go ahead and say I don't know how quantifiable it is. Well, it's not, and there's actually two pretty big reasons why
0: quantifying genius is virtually impossible, at least with our current understanding of the mind. And they are,
1: they are. Uh, well, the first one's pretty obvious. Genius is a very subjective thing. Um, some people think it's like an IQ higher than uh, 140 or 175, I've heard, which, you know, that's uh, just a smart quantifying. Quantify? Quantifier? (laughs) And uh, I'm clearly no genius. And the the other thing is, like you said, it's it's a big picture thing, and science and medical inquiries, that kind of thing, is all about the detail. So it's really hard to, like, analyze and study.
0: It's like studying intercessory prayer.
1: How sure. do you study that? Yeah. How do you quantify happiness or
0: prayer or genius, you know? Yeah. Um, our colleague, uh, Tracy V. Wilson, mm-hmm. I like how she put it. Yeah, she did a good job just kind of getting rid of the crud that's often associated with genius. And, and just if you have like crazy hair and a big mustache and you know math, you're a genius. She right. got rid of all that. And, uh, for the, for the purposes of, of this podcast, we'll adopt her description, right? Agreed. Which was that a, a genius is a, an extraordinarily intelligent person who breaks new ground with discoveries, inventions, or works of art. Right? Because you can't just be a really smart person. You have to do something with it to truly be a genius. That's what makes a genius. It's not just intelligence. It's intelligence with creative
1: energy. Well, the creative part is huge, and we'll get to that. But it's um she goes on to say, and I agree that, They usually will change the way we look at the world Or at least the way people in whatever field they're in Look at their field They make a difference They're difference makers Have you ever heard of a guy named William James Sidis? No He uh,
0: reportedly had the highest um, IQ in history Higher than
1: Ask Marilyn of Parade Magazine? As a matter of fact, yes
0: (laughs) Ask Marilyn says hers is 230
1: She claims the highest
0: ever measured This guy supposedly was 250
1: Really? Yeah um, let did me, he, let me did give he you do little... more than uh, a QA at the end of Parade Magazine?
0: Sadly, no. Really? Okay, so let me let me give you a little background on Sidis, okay? Uh, he was 18 months old when he started reading the New York Times. Okay, so far so good. All right. Uh, at two, he taught himself Latin. Three, he taught himself Greek. Wow. Uh, he could speak more than 40 languages by the time he was an adult. okay. Uh, he graduated cum laude at 16 from Harvard, and became the youngest professor ever in the history of Rice University. How I old? imagine he was like 17 or something. Okay, he was a young guy. Wow. And then, within I think about a year at Rice, he he dropped his position, and spent the rest of his life working like menial jobs. He went from job to job, just doing normal labor. he's not
1: a genius, though.
0: He would not qualify as a genius by this definition. You have a 250 IQ. You're clearly a prodigy. Mm -hmm. You're an incredibly brilliant person. Right. But if you don't contribute to humanity, what are you worth? You're like a Buddhist monk who goes and spends your life meditating (laughs) in (laughs) a cave. We get so much email about that. Curse you. Sorry. (laughs) But but that's that's the point. And right. geniuses are incredibly valuable to society. I don't remember what podcast it was in, but we were talking about um, Malthus and the idea uh-huh. that the the more the larger the world population, right. the more incidents of uh, the births of geniuses sure. happens, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the more geniuses you have, the further along society is helped by leaps and bounds.
1: Right. Well, if you think Mensa is a uh Quantifier, then there's about three million geniuses in the U.S., but I don't buy that.
0: Right, because Mensa standards—they um, accept IQ, people right? who, well, it's not just IQ, but standardized intelligence tests. Right. Um, they accept people who score within the top two percent. Right. Of those, so if you just extend that with basic math, two percent of the population in the U.S. is like six million people, right? And then thirty million worldwide.
1: But I don't buy it anyway because they don't even count the creative element. Uh, you know, Gina Davis is in Mensa. Yeah. That, everyone always says that. And anytime you hear about Mensa, people go, you know, Gina Davis is in Mensa. I think we had this conversation. You brought up Rennie Harlan and... Yeah, know. the uh, the pirate movie they
0: made. Let's play the clip, shall we? <laughs> no. Okay, we won't. <laughs> um,
2: let just
1: get back to Genius. She just spit baloney out of her mouth. <laughs> She's She so shouldn't be eating bologna anyway. I did her a favor. You're right. So you want to talk about the brain? Is that where we're going? Well,
0: let's let's get to it. I mean, like, if, if you're going to go in search of genius, with or without Leonard Nimoy, um, you are going to start looking in the brain, right? I love that show. The best. It's awesome. Yeah. So super seventies. Um, so
1: let's go into the brain. Clearly, we're going to find our answers here, right? Maybe. No, no. Uh, but we should talk about it. The cerebral cortex, as we all know, is the largest and outermost part of your brain. And this is where the higher functions like thought and reasoning happen as opposed to lower functions like just uh, basic survival, that kind of thing.
0: Right. And the most basic stuff is found in your brainstem, which is how Mike the Chicken was able to live
1: for so long. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cortex is uh, cerebral cortex is divided into lobes. And within those lobes, there are regions that help you handle specific tasks. And uh, it's, we do know it has a big impact on how we think. Uh, But it's a little tricky to study because one reason that Tracy pointed out, which I thought was really valid, is to get an MRI done, you're lying there in a tube. They can't actively study how your brain operates on a day-to-day basis while you're functioning. Right, which is the great failing of the wonder machine. Yeah, I bet you they can solve that one day. Oh, they will, definitely. And by they, I mean people other than you, me, or Jerry. Some genius, perhaps. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, But she did point out a cool study from uh, Cal Irvine in 2004, and they they did pinpoint that the volume of gray matter in parts of the cerebral cortex has a a greater impact on your overall intelligence than how large your brain is, because we talked about that in the Einstein uh, thing, right? Yeah. yeah, His brain was actually smaller. The gray
0: matter, uh, oh man, I know the white matter transmits. The gray matter is like uh, problem solving, I believe. And white matter is used to
1: transmit information. Right. But Einstein's brain was smaller than your average bear's brain.
0: It was. Remember, we talked about what yeah. happened to his brain. And um, when what they finally found, the, the big distinction they found in his brain that was abnormal was that um, his parietal lobe was almost missing this uh, fissure within it. Yeah. That most people have. That's right. So he had a very narrow fissure. And... They, it was I,
1: also wider
0: and right than most so he had a big parietal lobe, which is um, responsible for sensory input, but it also handles things like mathematics unsurprisingly enough sure. so he had a big parietal lobe with a small fissure in between it, which uh-huh. they theorized mean or meant that his his uh, parietal lobe could communicate with itself right
1: more efficiently, more effectively. and a genius is born yes by 26 joshers, he proved that atoms, atoms exist. He figured out that light behaves as a particle and a wave. He developed the theory of relativity and the famous equation e equals mc squared. By twenty six, wh- where were you in by that age? I wish I could remember, Chuck. Right, <laughs> me too. Yeah, you were. Pro- you were. Uh, were you following fish around or something like that? Widespread panic. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I think I was living in New Jersey at the time, but I'd goofed around enough in Athens. I wasn't coming up with uh, theories of relativity. Uh, nor was I. No, no. I was throwing a lot of darts.
0: Uh, Some other interesting aspects of the brain um, is that it actually develops; it goes from thicker to thinner as we age. So it goes from undeveloped to uh, the cerebral cortex thickening, right? And then after adolescence, or maybe during adolescence, I think um, during, yeah, we it begins to thin, Uh right? And what what a study in Nature, uh, I think two thousand and six, found was that um, kids whose brains thicken faster. In youth, tended to have higher IQs. Right. And the reason that this could be significant is that they we, we tend to find intelligence as a, a, an inherited trait or what appears right. to be an inherited sure. trait. So this is a physical example of how uh, intelligence could be
1: inherited through organic structure of the brain. Right. So that's intelligence. But sure. that's not genius. So we need to no, talk about the difference. No, but we can't even difference.
0: we but at the same time we can't even really describe intelligence. Like yeah, that's consider true. let's let's talk about the IQ test, all right? Okay. The our, our big um, arousal for the IQ test began in the in the mid 1920s. Right. Uh, when a uh, psychologist named Catherine Morris Cox published um, The Early Mental Traits of 300 Geniuses. And basically she went back from, and it was exhaustive, she used like 1,500 sources and studied the the work, the traits, the um, contributions mm-hmm. of 300, and actually 301, I don't know why she called it 300, uh, but 301 great minds. Right. And then basically gave them an IQ test based on this. Uh-huh. Uh, and came up, and the highest rated one was uh Johann Goethe. Very nice. Thank you. Did you know he had a theory of evolution like 75 years before Darwin? Really? Yeah. And he came up with human chemistry. He was a smart guy, but he clocked in at number one at 250 or 210. Wow. Not bad. Sorry. Not bad at all. Uh But as this book came out and became, you know, um... The public became aware of it. It was like, hey, we didn't know about these IQ tests. This is awesome. We can start measuring how smart people are. Ironically, the earliest IQ tests were used to uh, measure mental handicaps in children. Really? Yeah. But then they started figuring out, hey, you can use this for uh, gifted kids, to find the gifted kids as well. And the Stanford psychologist, uh, mixed with the first guy who came up with the IQ test, Benet, the two together formed the Stanford-Binet IQ test that we use today. I know i would heard that. Right? Have
1: you ever had yours done? No, I, I refuse to. I never will. I took one at one point, but it wasn't like the standard test. It was just some hackneyed version, and I scored really high. That's the reason I know that it was pretty much BS. Oh, <laughs> because I'm kind of smart, but not anything like uh, I scored. I didn't. I don't put any stock into it. But Chuck, I,
0: I guess that kind of underscores. Um, a really good criticism of IQ tests is that they may be standardized. They may be widely accepted, but we aren't 100% sure that they measure everything. Actually, I wouldn't even say we're 90% sure they measure everything. They measure um, mathematical aptitude, uh, language abilities. Um,
1: What else? Uh, Well, yeah, sure, along with memory and spatial ability.
0: Okay, but is that everything?
1: Well, no, and any standardized test, the word itself kind of, Says it all. It's standardized, right? No, no standardized test that you give different people can really tell you the same thing about all those different people.
0: No, it can't. And I mean, the very questions that the test test asks—wow, <laughs> these pain fumes are really getting <laughs> on top of me. Uh, the the very questions that these tests ask um, actually c- can be biased. Um, I heard oh, yeah. I heard of I think an SAT. I hope it wasn't an SAT question. It's a little too easy, but, um, some sort of standardized test, it asked the question, which of these places would you go to buy milk? And it was like grocery store, convenience store, dairy or something like that.
1: Well, you can buy milk at all those, Josh. Well, you can, but I mean, right.
0: like for kids out in the sticks where right. there isn't a grocery store, but there's a convenience store, sure. that's where they go to buy their milk, but they miss the question because the answer was supposed to be grocery store. It's a it's a pretty dumb example, but yeah. it's it's accurate. Right. I mean, the very people who write the tests are biased in some ways, and IQ tests have been shown to skew uh, against um, certain uh, ethnic and socioeconomic groups.
1: Yeah, sure, same as essay. any standardized test does. So, boo. Boo to that is what I say. Okay. And the other thing, too, is is that uh, geniuses don't, like people cons- generally consider genius, don't necessarily score well on these tests anyway. No, that's true, too. So throw it out
0: the door is what I say. Um, I will say, though, just while we might as well give a little uh, information on the IQ test. The uh, standard score is 100 with the deviation of 16. So the average score of the general population will be between 84 and 116. Right. Bell curve. Right. But no one knows what over that indicates a genius. Right. A, a widely accepted number is 140. Right. But somebody just made that up at some point in time. Well, like I said, I read 175. And that's not to say that a really high score... Doesn't mean you're a genius. Like, it could mean you're a genius. The IQ test is capturing something, probably. Right. But it's not capturing the whole picture, I think, is the no. point we're trying to make right here, right? Not at all.
1: So let's leave the IQ test in our dust. Okay. Uh, maybe we should go with Steinberg's, I'm sorry, Sternberg's uh, Triarch Theory. I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, there are some competing explanations of what
1: components there are to intellect, right? Yeah. Sternberg said that he thought it um, human intelligence includes a few things, thus the triarch. Uh, creative intelligence, so the ability to generate new ideas, interesting ideas. Right. Uh, analytical intelligence, so you can examine facts, draw conclusions. That's pretty good. Right. And practical intelligence, which means you can fit into your environment, which is like street smarts, that. kind of,
0: yeah, but I disagree, man. I, I went back and reread that a couple of times and, and, you know, Tracy points out that there are a lot of critics of, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, um, practical intelligence. It's everybody has that to a certain degree. And that, does that really count to toward being a genius? I disagree. I've met some people who, oh, I mean, think about it. It's the classic example of somebody who's very book smart but you should never let sure. walk down an alley by themselves. And I've known
1: or many by himself or herself. Many, many people like that.
0: Sure. And then there's you know, the super street smart um ratso rizzo, you right. know, <laughs> who can make his way haven't Jersey Midnight Cowboy? I'm walking here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh who who can make his way in the world but, you know, would probably do horribly on an IQ test. Sure. The the very fact that there there are those different um polar extremes means to me, that there's something to that. that, that
1: is an aspect of intellect. Right. And you remember I mentioned G earlier? I didn't <laughs> want to leave people hanging there, but the IQ test, they have come up with a unit, and they, they call that unit for intelligence G.
0: Right. And that's actually, IQ tests are under a larger umbrella of what's called psychometrics, which is basically the study of an attempt of the measurement of intelligence, right? C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Back in the 70s, there was a statistician named Carl Jorskog, Jorskog, weird, Um, and he figured out that you, he figured out a way to measure intelligence that basically led to the appearance of three different kinds of intelligence while we're on theories of intelligence, right? Okay. Uh, He came up with um, fluid intelligence, right? Yes. Okay. And this is basically coming up with new ideas on your own to solve problems. Crystallized intelligence is um, understanding already established techniques of problem solving and being able to identify which technique will best work to solve a particular problem. Okay. And then there's visual-spatial reasoning, which is um, kind of an aptitude at creating mental images in your head to solve problems. It's a very important part of mathematics, actually. Right. Right. So we have uh, your Scog's ideas. We've got, um, what's your guy's name? Sternberg's? Hey, not my guy. Let's talk about Howard Gardner. And he has the feel-good, we're-all-geniuses kind of theory, right?
1: Yeah, uh, multiple intelligence. He thinks there's seven types. Linguistic, uh, logical, mathematic, musical, bodily, kinetic, I'm sorry, kinesthetic, spatial, which is always in there, uh, intrapersonal, and interpersonal. Right. But that's, like you said, it's a little too uh, broad, is what a lot of critics say. It is. There's always a critic of each of these, it seems like. One person comes out with something, and people say, well, I think that sounds good, and then another part of the camp says, no, I don't agree at all. Right. Isn't that the way with everything, though, Chuck? Yeah, pretty much. Like, Mountain Dew Code Red is the greatest drink ever.
0: <laughs> no, it's not regular Mountain Dew's way better. Good point. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, another hallmark of intelligence, something that can be measured, is is geniuses' aptitude toward social awkwardness.
1: Yeah, a lot of them are generally known as quirky, (laughs) odd characters. Um, They make up friends, as John Nash did. Yeah, absolutely. Einstein was sort of a wacky guy. Yeah, he liked to stick his tongue out. He was zany. Yeah, (laughs) I think people always point to that picture. Yeah. See, look how crazy he was. Yeah. Got anyone else? Uh, Well, let's talk about studying that. Yes, Josh, a Purdue uh, study, Purdue U., Saw 423 students, gifted students, and suggested that they were more susceptible to being bullied. So they're little mammy pambies, I guess.
0: A little bit. Also, there was a study um, out of, uh, was it Stanford? that It was a 20 year study, actually, um, that ended in 1940 that actually gave um, children aptitude tests and personal adjustment tests. Right. And found that there was a negative correlation between IQ and social adjustment. Right. Right. So basically, it's, it's quantifying what we all already know. <laughs> that if you're a smart kid, you're going to
1: eat mud several times in your life. Yes. I never ate mud. That's why I knew my IQ score was BS. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that they, geniuses have in common, I think we can all agree on, that you need to have to be a genius and not just smart is creative intelligence.
0: And high-waisted pants.
1: creative intelligence in high-waisted pants this is where it all comes together to me
0: right yeah i mean we talked about this earlier like you can't you it's not good enough to just be smart then you're just a really intelligent person The leap between intelligence and genius is bridged by creative prowess yeah
1: that's how you break new ground right why did you point at me
0: because prowess (laughs) was a horrible word i like
1: that thanks man the thing is though joshers is that uh this is another thing that you can't quantify and study necessarily. So once again, it's hard to kind of pinpoint creativity and imagination, although the researchers do think that creative people have less latent inhibition, and I completely agree with that.
0: Right, yeah, we've talked about that with the Thinking Cap episode. Was that it? Yeah, I knew it was where uh, schizophrenics have low latent inhibition. Right. And they take this extra stimuli and their brain constructs hallucinations out of it. Right. The idea was that um, creative geniuses who uh, who have low latent inhibition take this additional stimuli and use it in novel, creative ways. Right. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. There's also um, a quantifiable method, or a couple of them, to determine how much... Um, Creativity a genius has lent to the world, right? Yeah, it was in that article, you, you that Time article you sent me.
1: I thought that was kind of lame. to be It honest. is lame, but we it's funny it. that
0: this is the level that we're at to try to survey
1: genius, right? Yeah. What is was this the guy who wrote the book Simon Simonton? Yeah, he yeah uh, Dave Dean Keith almost said David Keith. <laughs> what a great actor! <laughs> what a chin. <laughs> Dean Keith Simonton wrote a book called uh, Genius One Hundred and One: Creators, Leaders, Prodigies and he came up with a little notion that uh add up the number of times someone has been in a publication have has been cited in a professional publication in right. the field yeah or the number of times their a composer's work maybe has been performed or recorded and i just think that's stupid
0: i, I think the uh, the i think there's one that's worse and that's counting
1: encyclopedia references <laughs> yeah. that's awful yeah cuz i think you can be a genius who is undiscovered you, you may have like uh written a thousand great c- compositions of music well, and you, that you, you never showed the discovered. world
0: no well, then, I think so. Well, then you can still isn't be a that genius. the same thing as just holding menial jobs? It's that's virtually the same thing as holding that stuff in your head. You have to share it with the world to be a genius, or else you're just some smart schmo. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, but I, I don't know if I do either. I think you can still be a genius in and of yourself. You can be a genius in a
1: vacuum, but not considered a genius by the populace, right? Okay, who wants to own you? Right, you know. I guess that's a difference. The difference I see in the. The guy who wrote, or gal maybe, who wrote uh, s- several great compositions and that were never discovered, and the guy who just got the menial jobs, is he didn't seem to have any creative genius going on. Yeah, he, he was, was able really to smart.
0: just learn. He was book learning, good at birth, book learning. Um, well, although, uh, if you are trying to come up with a measure of you know creative genius, then counting encyclopedia entries does work. I mean, it's a way to go.
1: Right. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, should we talk about him? No. He is of the uh, the belief that, uh, along with uh, Galton, I think you are talking about with eugenics, that uh, practice is really what leads to genius. Hard work and practice and practice and practice, which I don't know about that either. What do you think? I told you I'm not talking about Gladwell. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All right. Moving on then. Uh <laughs> And those, well, fine, forget Gladwell. Let's talk about Erickson. Uh, Anders Erickson is a rival. They call him a friendly rival, right. which I thought was kind of funny, of the Simonton guy I was talking about. Their, uh, their um, conflicts end in tickle fights. Right. <laughs> it it kind of reminded me of the Goodwill Hunting, like Robin Williams and that other guy. Right. They were friendly rivals. But uh, he is popular for the 10-year rule, which has been around for a long time. But that's a notion that it takes 10 years or 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to master a complex endeavor, and Gladwell is a believer in that. So, Chuck, um,
0: there's a guy named David Gallinson, too, who's kind of come up with uh, um, an, at least a qualification of creative genius, right? I didn't like him either. You didn't? Nah. Well, I, doesn't that kind of underscore like where the field of genius or intelligence research is right now? That yeah. Yeah. We, we've just poo-pooed ev- absolutely every
1: sector. Well, it's, it's of, all over the place. Yeah. But, t- yeah, say what he says because I want to prove that well, he's
0: He learned. says that there's – actually, now he says there's three kinds. Originally, he said there's, there's two types of innovators. There's conceptual innovators uh, who think in uh, bold, dramatic steps, uh, which Einstein would fall into. And do you know that among very smart people, he's considered kind of a flash in the pan? Really? Yeah. Think about it. He did everything that he was going to do by age 26. After that he just went around canoeing with Walter Mathau <laughs> as Walter Mathau same thing right um and then there's experimental innovators and they learn through trial and error over this would be the Thomas Edisons right. of the genius world um, and then everybody started shouting at David Gallerson then he said shut up shut up and went back to the drawing board and came up with the idea that genius can also be expressed in a continuum over time throughout right. a, a long lifetime of great contribution and work that's my problem with it what everybody shouted at him and he went back and was like "Here you
1: go he was like well you can either get everything done really early or you can produce all your great work later in life and they were like but what about people do it all their life he went well well, yeah you can do that too (laughs) it's like so lame right so should we just list out some some geniuses throughout history that people generally consider genius i didn't like this list either but we don't like anything about this one. Doing
0: George Washington's number forty-five, and hey. who's number one? It starts at number two, and if one's Einstein, one. I'm going to literally <laughs> eat
1: this list. One was Einstein. I didn't copy paste all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we have geniuses like uh, Tesla's three, um, Da Vinci number two, Isaac Newton number four, Hawking of course, Michelangelo, Archimedes. Josh is eating his list. <laughs> Warren Buffett is on there. Not bad. Sure, they had to round it out and make it as approachable <laughs> to all the readers they could. Aristotle, Picasso, Niels Bohr, Jefferson, Plato, Churchill, Benjamin Franklin. I think I'd agree with that one. Shakespeare, Sir Francis Drake, Michael Faraday, Chuck Darwin, <laughs> Rene De- De- Descartes, mm-hmm. or is it Desplain Desplain Descartes. Des- <laughs> uh Gary Kas- Kasparov and I think um, Bobby Fischer was on there, both chess champions. I don't know. They're, they're considered geniuses. It's all subjective, though. It is
0: completely subjective. I think we're going to end this with this observation. Genius is like pornography. It's impossible to fully define, but we know it when we see it. Right, Chuck? Who who was that? Uh Suter. Bruce Suter. Bruce Jenner If you want to learn more about genius I think there's more than just this article There's a bunch of good genius articles On the site at HowStuffWorks.com
1: And there's also a bunch of articles on people That we've mentioned Mm -hmm. Because we're doing a whole new series on painters, right? Yeah, we are Picasso and Van Gogh
0: (laughs) You can type it in the handy search bar, of course Since I said that, it means it's time for Listener Mail Chuck, first Before we do anything Before anything? Yes. Okay. Let's, uh, we get, we should probably plug our new Facebook page. Yeah. We were on Facebook for a while. This is nothing new to us, uh, but we streamlined our stuff. We had a a fan page and a regular page, and it was all just strange. So we we
1: consolidated. Right. And we're actually active on Facebook now. Yes, we are. Um, so we.
0: It, yes, we are. <laughs> we have a, uh, a our brand new Facebook page is uh, Stuff You Should Know. Just type that into the handy search bar at Facebook. Or I think it's Facebook.com slash Stuff
1: You Should Know, maybe. I'm not positive, but it's easy to find.
0: And also, buddy, we're tweeting. You are tweeting. I have tweeted twice. Yeah, you're I,
1: 68
0: and you're tweeting. I know. I feel like a modern... Child. Right. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we have uh, our Twitter name as SYSK Podcast, right? Yeah. So that would be at,
1: isn't that how they do it? Yeah. Look at you go. SYSK Podcast. And we'll be saying funny things as well as uh, sending out links to cool stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, we're active now. That is true. So uh, check us out, will you? Yes. On with the show? Yes. All right, Josh, listener mail. For goodness sakes, listener mail. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of quickies here from a uh, young boy named Sam and from a trucker named Annette. Annette took us to task. Oh, no. over what? Uh, we'll read it first. Annette says, uh, Hi, Chuck and Josh. I am a over-the-road truck driver and love your podcast. Over-the-road? Uh, that's what she says. I would love for you guys to come along with me into the 21st century regarding truck drivers. I've been driving for almost 13 years, and guess what? I'm a woman. In fact, what? I have two sons y'all's age. Uh, when you talk about truck drivers, as in the McDonald's podcast, you always talk about big, burly guys. Well, I may be big and probably more surly than burly, <laughs> but I'm definitely not a guy. Don't forget us lady drivers. Nice. Love, love, love the show. So,
0: And how could we forget? I mean, Large Marge was a huge factor uh, in Chewie's yeah, uh, sure. Big Adventure. yeah,
1: And that was Annette? That was Annette, and I told her that I would read this as our penance. Annette, I'm making the um, blow your horn sign <laughs> for the tractor trailer. So if you're
0: hearing this right now, toot your horn. Awesome. I
1: hope she didn't just cause an accident. <laughs> uh, this is from Sam, and Sam is just another cute little kid, and I like these.
0: I saw that. Lots of caps.
1: Yeah. Uh, hi, Chuck and Josh. I'm Sam blank, because I'm using your last name substitute. I'm 11 years old. You guys helped me get through many boring tasks like dog poop pickup, my least favorite chore. Sure. I think it's mine, too, actually. Oh, yeah. That in the cat box.
0: I just stopped as an adult. I don't pick up dog poop
1: anymore. You just don't go into the yard?
0: Uh, I just watch where I'm walking in the yard.
1: Okay. I think the funniest podcast was the Twinkie podcast. You guys make me laugh in my bed when I listen. Also in the supermarket. So nice. he listens when he goes to sleep and when he's grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Or I guess when his mom is grocery shopping. Or dad. Or two dads. I oh, don't know. Kids today are pretty <laughs> independent. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think you guys are the funniest people in the world That is true I have a few suggestions like What does cat got your tongue mean Mm -hmm. And other phrases mean You love improper English I do Also riot control (laughs) That really (laughs) cracked me up How does an 11 year old kid know what riot control is And Legos So he wants to know about cat got your tongue Legos and riot control And trading cards and football So could you please please read my shout out on the air And here's my shout out And this is in all caps Mm -hmm. I told you mom I would get my email Read on air Ha 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 (laughs) So that's from Sam W And he said I thought Josh Looked like Chuck And Chuck looked like Josh But that changed When I saw your pictures On the site Yeah we get that a lot Yeah We're Well not that I look like You and you look like me But that we look like Different people Oh okay That's always the case With the voice Yeah I'm much uglier
0: Than you would think That is not true You are a lovely Handsome man (laughs) Thank you all right. Well, thanks, Sam. Keep on shopping. And Annette, keep on trucking. If you have an interesting email that you want to roll the dice and see if we'll read it on the air, cost you nothing in this digital age. You can send us an electronic mail. Just uh, address it to Podcast at howstuffworks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks?